See, we need to, I guess, see the picture. And I know it's a story that maybe some of you heard. But it was, it happened this past week, if we were in, back in time, on Tuesday and Wednesday, it really, really began, uh, the, the, the resurrection of Sunday. The last two days between his, his confrontation with the Jewish leaders and his final day on earth, with friends in Bethany on Tuesday and, and Wednesday. There he was. There was a woman there that began to weep in front of him, and she anointed him and poured expensive oil, uh, expensive perfume on his head. And this is a beautiful thing. And, and when you do that type of perfume, it was odd to the people because you only put perfume on the body like that during a burial. Well, Jesus was the only one who knew that he was going to be buried. She didn't know. But he took it like that. And then there was this other person that was a part of that, that whole circle, Judas. He looked at that giving and, 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 and he was angry uh, that she did this. So he goes to the chief priest to betray Jesus because they promised him some money. Now, what a contrast when you look at that, that Tuesday and Wednesday. The woman gave generously because she loved Jesus, and Judas betrayed Jesus, apparently because he loved money. Then Thursday come, and it's in Mark 14, chapter 12. Through 15.1, you see the whole story. And he's coming to Gethsemane in verse 32. Very interesting place uh, where God took him, Gethsemane, where he was there. It was called the wine press. If you know anything about making wine, hopefully you don't. I'm just kidding. But a wine press, what they would do, they would take the fruit and they would roll a big, large stone or wheel and they would crush the grape because until the grape was crushed, you could not have the grape juice. And appropriately, because God knew that he was going to sacrifice his son, he takes Jesus to the wine press. The vine, the grape, the juice. Let's read that story. Mark 14, 32. On Thursday, they came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. I'm reading out the Message Bible. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep busy with me. Going a, a little ahead, he fell to the ground and prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But, but please, not my will, but your will be done. He came back and found them, his disciples, asleep. He said, Peter, uh, you went to sleep. Can't you stick it out with me? Can't you just stick it out a single hour? Stay alert. He tells Peter, be, be in prayer so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. See, part of you is eager, ready for anything in God. But another part is as lazy. I like the way this Bible says it. Another part of you is lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Verse 39, he then went back and prayed the same prayer. Returning again, he found them asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't have an excuse. He came back a third time and said, are you going to sleep all night? You slept long enough. Time's up. To the Son of Man is about to betray me into the hands of sinners. Get up. 
Let's go. My betrayer has arrived. It was now late at night, and the tired disciples, sleepy disciples, couldn't stay awake. Jesus was in anguish, tormented by his knowledge. Now, if you knew you were going to die and be crucified, if you knew how you were going to die, it would torment you. Huh? He was overwhelmed with sorrow, and he just needed some help. See, when, in, when the pain of sorrow attacks, there's no greater, or rather, no greater defense exists than at least you have somebody who cares. Now, Jesus was there prepared to die, and he wanted somebody to care about him. That's why he said, don't you guys care? They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus, like us, needed some companionship. The disciples' eyes were heavy, and they kept nodding off. Finally, Jesus woke them, and at the base of the hill, the torches were coming. The chief priests were approaching. The sounds of the mob stumbling up the hill could be heard. And you pick up the story in verse 43. No sooner were the words out of his mouth when Judas, the one out of the twelve, showed up, and with him a gang of ruffians sent by the high priests, religion scholars and leaders, brandishing swords and clubs. The betrayer had worked out his signal with them. The one I kiss, that's the one. Make sure he doesn't get away. In verse 45, he went straight to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The others then grabbed and roughed him up. One of the men standing next to Jesus unsheathed his sword and swung it, came down the chief priest's servant, lopping off his ear. Jesus said to them, what is this? Coming after with swords and clubs as if I were a dangerous criminal. Day after day, I've been sitting in the temple teaching you never uh, so much as lifted up a hand against me. What you in fact have done is confirm prophetic writings. All the disciples cut and ran. A young man was following and ran off. Some men grabbed him, but he got away and he ran off naked leaving him holding his clothes. At this moment, it's the cross that he had to face. I've asked myself, how does a faith of people, you know, celebrate such a horrific happening? When you think about it, and then I, you know, I, I, I go out of the box time, why should we celebrate? Why do we think about this? And, and people have thought about Easter for decades. It began in the early church, you know, people are people. And it surrounded the day uh, uh, that people wanted to celebrate this. They actually wanted to celebrate, now they were fighting over if they should. Can you imagine that? The disagreement came on what day of the week should we celebrate it? Because some people don't, don't care uh, or have issues. Right? The churches, and I'm going to give you a little history here. The churches in Asia Minor, they celebrated the death of the Lord on the day it happened. In other words, every single year on the same day, whatever day that was, if it was Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday, they didn't care, but if it was the 14th, that's when they celebrated. And they were adamant. Then you had the Western churches who said, no, 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 no. We're going to celebrate it on the day it happened on Friday. And the enemy comes in and begins to disrupt a beautiful tradition over what? People. Or people's understanding of Scripture or misunderstanding, if you would. Now, 
now, fortunately, we, we, we recognize that it falls on this day. We, we recognize it, whether it happened on this very day, uh, but we, we, that's when we recognize it. History said it happened on the 14th day of Nisan. Nisan, not the car. Nisan. Nisan is considered sometime between March and April. Nisan. But they had, to, they had to hash it out. They had to have somebody calm them down. And the, the Emperor Constantine, who was in Istanbul at the time, that's a modern-day Istanbul, decided to bring them all together. The Syrian churches in the east, the Roman Orthodox churches on the, on the west, and all these religious folk got together just to understand when should we celebrate Easter. And what, that's what I'm trying to get at. I, I'm not really concerned with when we celebrate Easter. I'm more concerned with if we celebrate Easter. I believe we should celebrate Easter every Sunday. Every Sunday, think about Jesus dying for us, resurrecting. And so today we all have expected and we all accept that Easter is today. But the controversy still remains. Because we had an Easter egg hunt yesterday. There are some religious folks who said that that's not of God. Oh my goodness. Some decry the Easter bunny. Poor kid, poor little bunny. Some feel that egg hunts and other festivities are not of God. But if, if you look at history, let me show you how practical God is. If you look at history, that Easter bunny first arrived in America in the 1700s with German immigrants. They settled in Pennsylvania. They had a tradition that they brought with them, and it was called Osterbase or Osterhaus. The children made nests and, in which they, they created, and they would lay colored eggs in there. To these early pioneers, when they came in, they, were, they thought that these eggs celebrated our, our fertility. So they were trying to teach their children something. But beyond eggs representing fertility, there's a practical reason for the egg hunt. And I thought that's amazing. See, Easter happened after the 46-day fast, right? If you're a Catholic, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or even a Lutheran, you came with that? Lent. You have 46-day fast from rich foods, and it would include dairy, fats, meats, and eggs. You couldn't eat any of that, right? See, rabbits, again, and eggs were, were very fertile, because egg, uh, you couldn't stop a chicken from laying eggs. You have to keep them laying eggs. If you stop them, then, then they'll stop laying eggs, right? So for 46 days, chickens out, those eggs kept laying eggs. I mean, those chickens kept laying eggs. After 46 days, the community said, we got all these eggs. What are we going to do with them? So what they would do, they would boil them, have a festivity, festival, all come together and color them for their children because they had 46 days of unused eggs. So they created the Easter egg hunt. They would roll them if they broke, they didn't care because everybody had too many eggs anyway. See how practical that is? Then you have somebody say, oh no, the Easter egg bunny. Bunnies and eggs hold no spiritual power and they're not demonic. Amen? So if you're a Bugs Bunny fan, what's up doc? <laughs> they arrested Jesus, they took him away. They took him between the two leaders and began to beat him. On trial before Annas, the high priest, he goes to Caiaphas, 
Annas was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. They were a family, and one was a uh, retired high priest. The other one was a high priest. And they began to question him, question Jesus. And it was all behind one thing, political power and control. It had nothing to do with anything else. See, the Jews were in power. These men were in power. They didn't want this upstart, this guy causing any kind of ruckus. He was, not, he was a rebellious kind of a guy. And so they had to get him out of Dodge, had to get rid of him. So finally, the high priest Caiaphas asked him bluntly there in Mark chapter 14, 55 through 65, are you the Christ, the blessed son of God? Jesus answered, I am. To that is why they killed him. Man killed him because Jesus said he was God. The penalty for this blasphemy was death. Now is when the real torture began. We know the story. Peter followed him along and he denied Jesus. And I say this because we understand what Jesus, does everybody understand what Jesus did for them? And we understand that we accept it, we love the Lord, but nonetheless, sometimes in our actions or inactions, aren't we guilty of denying Christ as well? I've heard many people say, you know, I got to get right with God. I want to serve God. I want to do this. I said, well, what are you waiting for? Well, my last joint, my last this, my last girl, my last, what are you waiting for? It's time is now. Jesus Christ died for you. What are we waiting for? Crushed. Peter broke down and wept because he denied him three times. And Jesus said, look, Peter, you're going to deny me. Huh? So let's think. Has there been a time where we denied Christ? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because you're here. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to point out the reality that I'm in your shoes. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. That's why we need a Savior. Because we're going to fail Him. We're going to make mistakes. We are going to deny Him in our actions or our, our inactions. The blood covers us. Jesus stands before the trial, before the Sanhedrin and trial. Then Friday comes. Friday. Jesus is there before Pilate. Because the Sanhedrin, the religious people couldn't kill him. So they had to take him to Pilate who could kill him. He only had the authority to execute. And he goes there and, he, and, and they begin to give the story. And Pilate, really, if you know the story, if you look at history, he didn't want to touch the guy. He did nothing wrong. But he was a politician. And he didn't want the people to get angry. Try to get out of it. Send them back to, to Herod, who Herod was technically the, the ruler, but he had no authority as well. It was more of a courtesy. And again, I hate to get off track, but these rulers, religious rulers, sent them to Herod, not because they, they wanted Herod to execute them. They were at a political impasse before this happened. Politics, again, here it goes. And so they wanted to mend their relationship as a courtesy. They sent Jesus to him. Herod thought he was something special. Wow, they sent him to me. He couldn't touch him, and he sent him back to Pilate. See, power in a person's life is a very dangerous attribute if you're not submitted to God. Oh, power corrupts. You've heard that. Corrupts completely. 
So they, they sentenced Jesus to death. And I'm getting to the point where I want to get to. And we have to talk about the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a method of execution that the Roman had ordained on the worst criminals. The crucifixion. It was so horrible, no Roman citizen could be executed in that way. The crucified did not die because the wounds in their hands and in their feet. No, that was not the death. No, what happened, the blood in the suspended victim's body would be forced from the brain and the upper torso to the, extre to the lower extremities. So what would happen is it would be a slow, torturous death because the blood would slowly be removed from the heart and the brain. <clears throat> to satisfy the crowd, Pilate went against his own conscience and ordered Jesus' crucifixion. Could you imagine the blood rushing out of his brain and in, out of his heart and his blood pressure increasing, 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 increasing? Could you imagine that? Agony, which should have lasted for days. Could you imagine hanging up there for days? Jesus' death in Mark 15, 33. He hung on the cross from about 9 a.m. to noon. <clears throat> Then at noon, this is what happened. The Bible says that a terrible darkness blotted out the sun. After three hours, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A moment later, Jesus breathed his last. The Savior was dead. Mark chapter 27 reads like this. Or rather, Matthew chapter 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, there was a temple where all the Jews would go. It was a tent, if you will. Very large tent. And the tent curtain was probably as high as this building was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom up. It was ripped from top to bottom. Imagine that. The earth shook and the rocks split. You had an earthquake. The tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. So the moment Jesus died, the Bible says over 300 men and women were raised from the grave. At that very time. Think about that. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion of those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he is a son of God. That's where my hat comes into play. One of my favorite movies is The Godfather. You guys know what that movie is? It's a good leadership, and actually probably one of the best leadership movies if you ever look at it from a leadership standpoint, not from entertainment, you'll ever see. But an occurrence happened there where Michael Culioni was taking the realm from his dad. You remember that? And although it may be for some not an appropriate uh, analogy, for others you might like it, I'm not trying to offend it, I'm just trying to show you what happens in a transfer of power. At that moment, 
Mo Green, the guy in Florida, they were all being taken care of. You know what I'm saying, right? Right. And what was happening is Michael Colonioni was baptizing a child, and everybody began to understand that there was a new Godfather, that there was a transfer in power from the, from, the, from the original Godfather to his son, Michael. Are you with me? It was a very violent occurrence, but the power was distributed. See, the same thing happened the moment Jesus died. When the tent was ripped, God was bringing down power to earth. It, the power was so great that it went into the grave and raised up over 300 bodies from the grave. Not only was the power so great that was being transferred, the power was so great that it shook the earth. There was an earthquake. And at the same time, it says that the sun was blotted out in the sky. It went dark in the middle of the afternoon, 12 o'clock. What was taking place? Jesus had died and was given a transference of power from heaven through him to you. See, and this, the reality of this, my friend, is the world and the devil doesn't want to know what type of power that you have. So what does he do? Keeps you occupied with Everything else but church. Because you're not going to find that power in the mall. You're not going to find that power at Bronco Stadium, mile low. You're not going to find that power anywhere else. You're only going to find that power when you begin to seek God and seek Him with all your heart. Yeah. That was a great transfer of power. Not only did that happen, while that was taking place in the transference of power, people being raised for the dead, on Saturday, Jesus took another trip. Because he had some homegirls and homeboys locked up in prison in hell. And the Bible says that he went to hell and opened the gates of, for saints of old to be released from the chains that the devil had put on those people. So Saturday... While everybody is crying and mourning and wondering what's going to happen in their life, Jesus was still on his giddy-up. Hello, someone. He was still on his mission. He goes to hell and he led captivity out. Ephesians 4, 7 reads like this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned to it. Grace. Grace is a nice word, but really, he's talking about giving out you gifts. It's a portion according to the transfer of power that God has given us. We all are given a portion of grace, right? Some of us access it, some of us, most people don't. They're more concerned with life than life. Let's be given. Let's read verse 8. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he uh, ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Matthew in chapter 12, he's talking about Jonah in verse 40. He says, as for Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish. So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he comes out with that power, and he wants to give what? 
He wants to give you gifts. Right after that, he talked about the five gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts. See, we look at, you know, people look, in my mind, they, we look at uh, the Easter Sunday in the wrong view. It's not a, really an issue of just recognizing that Jesus was rose from the dead. No, my friend. That's, just, that's very religious. It's an issue that, yes, he rose from the dead, but he rose from the dead to empower you. He rose from the dead to give you a life. He rose from the dead to give you something. He said he shed gifts abroad. He said apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, gifts. So if you're not operating in your gift, what good is the resurrection? We could come to church and sing He's Alive songs and go on with life and just continue to live it? No. May it be far from us. We should live our life as resurrected people under power. As I close, Sunday morning. Mark 16, 1 and 8. Jesus' body was put in a tomb. We, we know now, during this time, his spirit was, was, was down there in hell, setting captives free. We also know that while this is happening, think about this. There are dead folk walking all over the place. Now what would you do if your loved one who had died recently just popped up from the grave? Over 300. So we talk about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, but Jesus brought a whole lot of people with him. Not only did he bring the, the saints of old, but he took them to heaven. He resurrected other bodies. So during Saturday, Saturday night, before Sunday, before the, the rock was rolled away, there were dead folk. You talk about the walking dead, what's that program? The walking dead, the living dead, I don't know what that is. The dead walkers, what do they call them? Walking, walking dead, yeah. Were those guys, that, 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 that was really happening. <laughs> But, but those people didn't look all twinkle like they do on the TV, right? They look like normal. But that happened. What would you do? See, Bible says even if somebody rose from the dead, some won't believe. We talk about everything and the miracles and the power. Still some don't believe. My wife couldn't walk. She's walking now. Still some won't believe. I was in the hospital, the doctor said I was gonna die. Went from 230 to 139 in 40 days. I was dying, the doctor said, see you later, punch your ticket. I go, no, no, I'm still here, God healed me. Still some don't believe. What happens? Life happens. Don't let life drown out Jesus. Don't let life, I, I know it's tough, because life is life, man. You gotta get gas, you gotta buy food. Gotta get close. I, I understand. I've been there, done that a thousand times. But you, it, it can be done where you don't let life drown out the resurrection. Don't let life drown out your calling. Don't let life drown out your relationship with Jesus. Don't let life do that to you. See, that's why I celebrate Easter Sunday. Jesus has been put in the tomb without even a normal preparation of the body. On Sunday, that Sunday, a military guard had been set up on the tomb and sealed. And the, 
the Roman seal was on that tomb so no one could open it up. Nonetheless, when those first women who didn't leave Jesus like the men, they showed up, the stone was rolled away. Inside there was the tomb with a young man, what appeared to be a young man, but it was an angel waiting for them. And he says this, and I say this to you as we live in these last days. Don't be alarmed. Jesus is not in that tomb. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen in my life. He will rise in your life if you let him. He's not going to force it on you. It's up to you. To Jesus had died. Yes. But Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Listen, my friend. The cross was not the end. It was a new beginning for all of us. The day that Jesus came into my neighborhood, came to my neighborhood personally through the voice of that man, Pastor Steve Pineda, the voice of that man, I was different. So that's why I give honor where honor is due. Nobody else lend me a hand. I was destined to die a dope fiend or in prison. I know that. I've tried to fight it off, tried to get educated, but I had too many things in my, my way. I knew if God didn't come, I would surely die. When I met my wife, I said, you know, you need to get away from me. Because I don't know if I'll make it to 40. Didn't I tell you that? I'm, I'm not a good person. You're a good girl. She was raised in church. You're a good girl. I'm not going to make it to 40. That's what I, I just, that's just the way it was, man. God interrupted. Resurrection power. Yeah. Came into my life. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.